Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Well, for those of you who have uh, not met me before, or you're maybe new to the church, or maybe you came in late and you, this is your first time here, my name is Wade, and I'm <laughs> glad to. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm Pastor Mark, and I come from uh, Somerset West um, uh, Sister Church, is that what we're calling ourselves? A, a network church, we're trying to decide that, we'll decide that in a couple of Mondays' time what we are, and that's good. Um, but... Um, so glad to be here. It's been a long time since I, I came through. You guys know uh, Melvin said that you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, so you guys must love us a lot by now, um, but it's, it's really good to, to be back. Um, it's, it's strange that we are currently in anticipation and getting ready for Christmas because it seems like just yesterday I said, hey, have you guys made New Year's resolutions yet? And you know, this is kind of speaking about New Year's, and now the year is almost finished. So it's, it's good to be here um, today. We are beginning, as Pastor Wade said, we're beginning our uh, anticipation series. And today we're going to be talking about this concept of rejoice, or this word rejoice. Now, uh, what I wanted to do just before we get totally into it is to come up with a bit of a definition. Because rejoice uh, means, right up front, it means to show joy or to be cheerful or to be satisfied or to be content. That's what it means to rejoice. It means to show something that's inside and, and show it on the outside. So it has something to do with the concept of joy. But I must confess to you that until quite recently, I had a confused thought about what joy was. You see, I grew up, and many of you may have, have, have heard this before, that there's a difference between joy and happiness. And um, so if, you, if you've heard that before, I'm not trying to say you're wrong and you, 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 you know, you've been deceived or anything like that. But that is actually a very recent concept of having joy be anything different from happiness. In fact, you jump up and down for joy, right? And that's when you're feeling happy, you jump up and down for joy. You have tears of joy, which is when you're happy. There's not really a distinction between joy and happiness. Matter of fact, um, even in Scripture, we, we think, no, but in Scripture it's different. You know, there's no, in the, I heard this, the, the argument that in the King James Version, there is no mention of the word happiness which isn't true. The word happy is in the King James Version even. But I want to show you something from Scripture just to, just to get us on the same page right up front. Um, in, in the Hebrew language, there's this idea of parallelism, which means that an author will state one um, concept and then he'll explain it with another line, but he's saying the same thing, but he's just giving emphasis. So have a look at this verse in Proverbs 22. It says, Let your father and mother be glad. Let her, let her who bore you rejoice. In other words, there's a link between rejoicing and being glad or being happy. Um, have a look at this in Jeremiah. Uh, look at all these ideas linked. Uh, then shall the young women, rejo women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will, return, I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. In other words, there's an equation between happiness and joy. In God's eyes, the two are actually the same thing, and they're, they're used interchangeably. So the whole reason that I'm, I'm telling you that up front is that I believe that there's a difference in the joy that we can have as Christians and the joy that the world can have. 
But there is no joy, there's no difference between the happiness that we can have and the joy that we can have. It's all the same thing. So I may use the terms interchangeably. I may use the word blessed sometimes, the word happy, the word rejoice or joyful or glad or cheerful or satisfied or content. They all cover the same kind of topic and the same thing. And so to rejoice is to show our joy, to show our cheer. Right, with that said, we're, we're on to this, uh, this idea of rejoice. And I wanted to start off by telling you why it's so important for us as Christians to rejoice. And I'm going to show you, uh, hopefully by the end of this message, that you have everything inside of you to experience the joy that God wants you to experience. It's all inside of you already. But then how do we access the joy that He's already put inside us? How do we make that come out? How do we rejoice? So that's, that's my goal for today, is to help you to realize that you have it inside of you and how to get it out of you, but in a good way. Okay, so why, why should Christians rejoice? Why is it so important for us? When I was a youth pastor in Amanzam Toti, we got together with some other youth pastors in Amanzam Toti, and we would go uh, around about matric exam times, and we'd, we'd serve hot chocolate to all the matric pupils, just to let them know Jesus loves you. So, you know, you know, come up, what are you doing? Why is this free? And, oh, it's just because we want to show that Jesus loves you. And they'd be like, that's so amazing. How do I become a... No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They would, oh, whatever, give me my hot chocolate and move off. But, but the whole point was we were actually moving up towards a big event that we had on the Friday night. So we would serve them hot chocolate and invite them to this, um, this time that we were going to have on Friday night with a big band from Joburg called The Plain Truth. You know, they were going to play and... Uh, then there was going to be an amazing inspirational message by, um, by this, a guest speaker also from Joburg. So anyway, we get to Friday, and I'm already a little bit grumpy because Claudette couldn't come with. She had to look after our two daughters, or maybe by one, one by then. Anyway, maybe Lizzie was very young. Anyway, so I go off to this event, and sure enough, there's the plain truth, and they're playing, and, and the kids, there were hundreds and hundreds. There were probably close to 1,000 kids in, the, in that hall, and, you know, they were jumping up and down, and there were actions with the songs. You know, they played this one song called Running, so they'd all, like, run to the one side, and then they'd run to the other. And it was this is huge group of kids all having fun. And then the, the, the preacher gets up, and he's, like, enthusiastic, and he, he presents this message. And all, this, all of the time, I'm sitting in the back, kind of arms folded like this, and, like, they really don't seem to take God very seriously. This just all seems, like, a little bit light-hearted and... A little bit too, I don't know, it's just not for me. And I asked one of my youth leaders, who I thought would be on the same page as me, so I was kind of hoping that, you know, misery loves company, he'd also be equally as miserable as I was. And I said, hey Ryan, what did you think of that? He says it was amazing. Because I, I, saw, I saw what Christianity should be all about, you know, this whole joyful experience. And I came to, to realize that the thing that I was, I was, fighting against was an expression of what Christianity should actually be about. He got it, and I didn't. And the point is this, that in Christianity, God actually wants you to be filled with joy. God wants you to be filled with joy. That's why it's so important for us to be filled with joy. You know, the, the reason that I can say that is that you are made in His image. You are made in His image. So God, in the beginning, he creates the heavens and the earth, and he speaks everything into existence. And he says it's good. It's not very good yet, but we can get there. And so to make it very good, he creates Adam and Eve. 
But he doesn't just create them like the rest of the world. He doesn't speak them into creation. He gets a little huddle, a holy huddle with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Father says, come, let us create man, but not like the rest of it. Let's make him in our image and in our likeness. Meaning, let's make something that can represent us to the rest of creation. Something that's unique. Something that, that kind of is our character in flesh. And so he made them, but not like the rest. He got down, he scooped up some dirt, and he made Adam. And then he breathed his life into Adam and made Adam in his image and in his likeness. And you are made in his image this morning. If you're sitting here, you are made in his image. Well, what is the likeness of God? What is he like? So the nation of Israel gets taken into captivity in Babylon, and God says, I want to bring them out, and I'm going to do good to them. And have a look at this. Look at what he says about doing good to them. He says, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. In other words, God loves and he delights and he is joyful about doing good, and God is good, and therefore God is joyful. When Paul writes to Timothy, he, uh, he warns him against a, a bunch of people that are going against sound doctrine, Sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And that word blessed means happy. God's a happy God, which is good news because we're going to spend forever with him. Right? Imagine if he was just an angry God and you get to spend forever with an angry God. That is literally hell. But God is a blessed God. God is a happy God. That's his image. So that's the Father. But Jesus pursued joy. Did you know that Jesus pursued joy? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember he's praying and he's sweating blood because he's stressed about the cross and the agony that's, that's coming. And he says to the Father, Father, please, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Let, the, let, this, pass. let this cup pass. He says, but not your will, not my will, but yours be done. And then he went to the cross. And, and so sometimes we're like, that's such a picture of obedience and my God, he was so obedient. But don't miss what it says in Hebrews 12. It says that we ought to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of, the, of faith, who for the what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In other words, he was able to look past the cross and look towards being exalted by the Father, spending eternity with the Father, spending eternity with you and with me. And so it was for joy that he went to the cross. It was for joy. And then Jesus calls us to follow him. And to follow Jesus doesn't mean just going where he goes. It means doing what he, does, what, what he did. So on the night before he was betrayed, the night that he was betrayed, he, he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says to them this. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In other words, following Jesus, doing the things that Jesus does, leads to being blessed. And that word doesn't mean financially or anything like that. Don't, don't get confused by that. It means happy. You will be happy if you do the things that Jesus did. And later on, in the, on the same night, he goes and he says, you know, you're, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he, he says, abide in me and I in you. And he says, this is why I'm telling you this. These things I have spoken to you that, that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, when we abide in Jesus, his joy comes into us and we are full of joy. God wants you to be full of joy. God the Father is full of joy. Jesus pursued joy and was full of joy and calls us to follow him. And then, then he invites us into eternity with himself. 
And look how he describes that eternity. He says, his master said to to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And hopefully we get that commendation as well. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We get to spend an eternity in joy. So that's the Father, the Son. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, God says that if you walk in the Spirit, you produce the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy. Right? So when we live the way that God wants us to live, we produce joy in ourselves. He wants us to be full of joy. And you know what? Up until very recently, the church preached this as well. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, uh, The happiness Christ gives to his people is a participation in his own happiness. Jonathan Edwards, who wrote, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, doesn't really sound like a very jolly dude. But he wrote that because he knew that happiness was part of Christianity and being a follower of Jesus. Here's what Spurgeon says. May you so come, that means become a Christian, and then may your Christian life be so fraught with happiness and overflowing with joy. See, God wants you to be filled with joy. Here's a second reason why this is important. If you don't do joy the way that God wants you to do joy, then you get to do it the way that the world does joy. One day we were driving along in our car, and it was a hot day, and the windows were rolled down, except, does anyone roll windows down anymore? It was wound down, and it was down. And our kids were in the back seat. Okay, so bear that in mind, windows open, kids in the back seat, and we get to this robot, and we want to turn right. Okay, and there's some cars lined up, But the first car on the line has his indicator on also to turn right, so we're going to kind of cross paths. But he was in the wrong lane, which is fine, but he was was going to do that, so he was going to block traffic, so I was supposedly free to go, right? Because we're going to do the whole switch thing. Anyway, I start going and I start moving into his lane, and then all of a sudden, he comes straight. His indicator was left on from previously or whatever, and he wasn't actually turning. And the guy leans out of his window, and he said, have a nice day, chap, <laughs> except not, not quite, right? He, he swore at us. He used some like, really hectic foul language with my kids sitting in the back, and I was like, Ugh. that wasn't very, very happy. But no doubt he went on to a pub somewhere or home and watched the rugby or something and was cheered up, and he had joy. You see, his joy came and went and came and went and came and went, and that's how the world does joy. Uh, I remember going to the cinemas, and they used to play those like. Um, smoking adverts, remember, for cigarettes. And remember those guys that were like skiing in the one frame and then they're on a yacht somewhere else and they're in the next frame. But i tell you what, the guy looks very happy, but what happens when his yacht is gone and he's no longer able to go on the skiing vacations and he's got lung cancer, right? I mean, that, that's not cool. Then his joy is gone because his joy and the world's joy depends on circumstances. But I want to show you today that God's kind of joy is independent of of, of your consequences or circumstances, probably is a better word to fill in their circumstances. God's joy is independent of your circumstances. You don't have to be rich. Luke says that Jesus said, blessed are the poor. You don't have to be popular. Jesus said, blessed are, blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be glad because so they treated the prophets before you. You don't have to... Um, so you don't have to have a lot of friends, you don't have to be rich, uh, you don't have to be powerful. I was listening to the radio the other day and there was a political party on there and they were grumpy. And it was very evident to me that they will not be happy until they have political power. And they don't have political power at the moment. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek. In other words, happy are the meek. You don't have to have 
political power to have the kind of joy that God wants to give you. So how do we do that? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Wait, I need to check with you. What time do you normally go to? So that's lunch, so like 1 o'clock is fine? Yeah, one, okay. 1, 1.30, okay, good. <laughs> All right. So Luke chapter 1, this is kind of the beginning of the Christmas narrative in, in Scripture. Um, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 39. Here's what's happening. So there's this priest named Zechariah, and he is ministering. It's his turn to minister in the temple. So he goes into the temple and this uh, angel appears to him and says, God has heard your prayers and uh, you're gonna, your, your wife is going to be pregnant. You're going to have a son. And Zechariah says, how can I know this is true? And so Gabriel, the angel, says, listen, bud, I stand in the very presence of God. And because you have doubted what I said, you're not going to be able to go and tell all your friends about your baby because you're going to be mute. So he says, okay, I'm sorry, or he couldn't say because he couldn't speak, but he comes out of the, out of the temple, and they're like, well, what, what happened? And he's kind of making signs, and they realize he cannot speak, and they realize he must have seen a vision. And then he has to carry on with his duty before he can go to his wife, but then she falls pregnant. Okay, so her name is Elizabeth. She's pregnant, and the angel said to her, listen, your son, John, is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he's in his mother's womb. So if you think about it, John's second birth was his natural birth. Normally the second birth is the spiritual birth, but his second birth was actually his natural birth. It's kind of crazy. Um, but anyway, so that's going to happen. And then after that, um, after about six months of, of Elizabeth being pregnant, the same angel, Gabriel, appears to Mary. And he says to her, Mary, you've found favor with God, and Mary gets scared, and he says, don't be afraid. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. And Mary says, how will I know that these things are so? And then he, you know, because I'm a virgin, I don't have a, a husband, how can I be pregnant? And so the, the angel um, describes everything that's going to happen. And he says, and by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. She's six months pregnant. And that is to prove that with God, nothing is impossible. If, I can make, if he can make an old barren lady pregnant, then maybe he can do the same with you. And so Mary believed that. And then, then we get into the, the, the part that we're in. So Elizabeth is pregnant. Mary's been told she's going to be pregnant as well. And here we go. So verse 39. In those days, which is the days when Elizabeth was pregnant and, had also, and Mary had been told she was going to have a baby, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And as she entered the house of Zechariah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So immediately she goes. She's like, this is so exciting. And the, the angel Gabriel said that this is going to prove that with God nothing is impossible. I'm going to go and see the great length to which God can go in order to accomplish what he wants to do. So I'm going to go and see my, my old barren cousin and see if she really is pregnant. And so she goes and she greets Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the, the baby leaps in her womb, the baby, and we're going to find out, leaps for joy. And remember that the baby, because this is going to be important, the baby is filled with the Holy Spirit. From the time that he's in the womb, the baby is filled with the Holy Spirit, and at the presence of, of Mary, who's carrying baby Jesus, this baby leaps for joy. So the presence of, of, of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit, the baby leaps for joy. And Elizabeth was also filled with the Holy Spirit. And what, what does she do? 
she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And I want to pause here just, just a, a minute. See, Luke uses two words for blessed in this short passage. Those two words that are highlighted there, that's the same Greek word. But later on, he uses another word that's translated blessed, which is a different word. So this word blessed here is, is the word that we get our English word eulogy from, which means to say a good word. So to be well spoken of. In other words, he's saying, well spoken of are you among women. And that's prophetic as well, isn't it? Because there's not many people who you'd speak to about Mary and they're like, oh, she was horrible. Right? She's still well spoken of among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is Jesus. Well spoken of is Jesus. Now, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus and you can go and speak to people who don't follow Jesus and no one's going to say, oh yeah, but Jesus was a bit of a jerk, right? He's well spoken of even by people outside of the Christian faith, even by other religions. I want to just draw your attention to something here, and this is kind of amazing. I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. Elizabeth is six months pregnant when Mary gets the news that she is, and then, then she travels to Elizabeth. Mary stays with her for three months, and then John the Baptist is born. In other words, she is probably days pregnant, maybe hours pregnant with Jesus at this point. She's not like showing a, a, you know, a belly or anything like that. In fact, probably even with today's medical like, machines and all that kind of stuff, if they took a scan of Mary, they probably wouldn't even pick up a, a baby at this point, which is a pretty strong argument for you know, when life is conceived and not because John the Baptist in the womb thought that this was life. Elizabeth thinks that this is life, which is just an aside, but I think it's a cool aside. All right, so blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why, has this, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, which is my God, should come to me? You know, out of all the people that Mary could have gone and shared this good news with, you know, Elizabeth's husband is the priest. You know, why not go to the priest? Why not go to some other religious leaders and say the Messiah is coming? or a king, or someone like that. So Elizabeth, in her humility, says, why has God granted to me that the mother of my God should come to me, the mother of the Messiah should come to me? And then she, she explains herself. Because imagine this, okay? Your cousin comes to you, and then all of a sudden you're gushing and say, blessed are you among men, or blessed are you among women, and blessed is, are your children. And That's a strange greeting, so she explains. When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So there we get it. So John had leaped for joy. And blessed, and that's a different word. Okay, I'll come back to it. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That word blessed means happy. So happy are you, Mary, because you listened and you believed, and your belief is shown in the action that you actually came to me. Here's what happened in this whole story. Mary goes with Jesus in tow, right, although you wouldn't be able to see it yet, to her cousin who's pregnant. And her cousin has a baby who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the presence of Jesus, the Spirit-filled baby leaps for joy. And then just after that, Elizabeth, the mother, also gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the presence of Jesus, this, she also starts gushing with joy and she starts rejoicing. In other words... Joy is the natural response of a spiritful person to the presence of Jesus. Joy is the natural response of a spiritual person to the presence of Jesus. 
So here's the big idea. When Jesus, our Savior, is near, spiritual people experience cheer. When Jesus, our Savior, is near, spiritual people experience cheer. So what are the two things that you need that you, well, that you need for joy? You need the nearness of Jesus and you need the Holy Spirit. The nearness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, thanks to the gospel, thanks to the Christmas story, we actually have both of those. You see, Jesus was born. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's, sinner's death on your behalf and on my behalf, and he was buried. But then he rose again. And at that point, the disciples thought, Jesus, is it now? Are you going to establish your kingdom now? And he says, no, 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 not yet. I want you to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then Jesus disappears into the clouds. And his disciples are kind of looking up and saying, what in the world just happened? And an angel appears to them and says, why are you looking at the sky? And they're like, you wouldn't believe it, but our friend, he just did a Superman and you know, he's up in the sky. And he's gone. And he says, well, stop marveling at this because the same way that you saw him go, he's coming back. But as believers, sometimes we focus on the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's in heaven and one day he's coming back to us. And we forget his promises and we forget that Jesus is near right now. You see, when he was on earth, before he went, before he vanished, he said to his disciples, so he's died and he's raised again, and he says to his disciples, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus promised to be near. Matter of fact, what he said to the disciples just before he died, he said, look, I'm going to go away, but if you keep my commandments, I'll get the Father and I'll come and I'll make my dwelling with you. And the commandment there is not his moral commandments. His commandment is clear, just later in the passage. It says, this is my commandment, that you believe in me. So when you believe in Jesus, he goes and he grabs the Father and he comes and he dwells with you. Jesus is near to the believer. But the second thing is that we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to go away, and then I'll ask the Father, and we'll send another helper to you. And another helper means it's not him, and it's not the Father, because he's asking the Father, but another one. It's the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. In fact, he says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it, is, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And look, there was a, a bit of confusion in, in, the, in the city of Ephesus because the gospel spread to Ephesus and uh, Paul, the apostle, gets to Ephesus and there's, some, uh, there's four men that are there and, there's, and he says, have you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know that that was available. And so, so Paul kind of prays, he leads them in the gospel, he, he tells them about Jesus and the, the gospel and he lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So there's a bit of confusion, like the Ephesians are like, okay, well, we didn't have the whole laying on of hands thing. Like, what's the deal, Paul? And so Paul explains it to them. He says, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the, Holy, with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't need an apostle to come and lay your hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit when you hear the gospel and when you believe in him, you receive him. He comes and lives within you. So we... 
we have Jesus, he's near, we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need to experience the joy that God wants us to experience, so why is it that we don't experience it sometimes? And how can we experience it? How can we access that joy? Well, let's pretend that Pastor Wade got me a glass of water, right? And I had a glass of water here and I took a sip of my water, right? That water goes into me, right? But I'm not swimming in the water. So it's possible to have water in me without me being in water. It's possible to have the Spirit in you without you living in the Spirit as well. You see, when Jesus, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit will be like a river of water, river of living water rushing out of you. And sometimes as Christians, we go to the edge of this river of living water and we, we take a sip, and so then the Holy Spirit's in us. But what God wants us to do is to throw ourselves into the river and to be carried along by the Holy Spirit and to be controlled by Him. Matter of fact, here's what Paul says. He says, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He equates being controlled by alcohol, and you're like, you don't know what you're doing, and you're going to places that you shouldn't go and doing things that you shouldn't do because you're being controlled by alcohol, to being controlled by the Holy Spirit, where you're like, I surrender, I'm yours, take me where you want me to go. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. And that is the key. You see, we have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus, but what we need to be is filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit, which means we need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And here's why. You see, uh, there's a, a thing that I like to call the, the pleasure and pain paradox. Uh, people always do things either to gain pleasure or to avoid pain. And what I've discovered is that in, in life, if you choose to go through pain now in the short term, it leads to long-term pleasure. Let me explain that. I can either choose to sit on my couch and watch a, a movie and eat you know, a Burger King meal, a Whopper meal or something like that, and I can do that every day if I want to, or I can choose to eat healthily and go to the gym. One of them is going to probably lead to a heart attack later in life, and one of them is going to lead to being fit and healthy and able to play with my kids and, and you know, be vibrant and stuff. So I choose short-term pain now for long-term pleasure. Well, there's a similar thing in, in, in the spiritual world where... Paul says that you've got a choice. You can either, as Christians, you can either walk by the flesh or you can walk by the Spirit. And walking in the flesh, if I tell you what it is, to a lot of people that sounds like pleasure. If I had to say sex, drugs, alcohol, and rock and roll, right? That is, that's works of the flesh. And that sounds like pleasure to a whole bunch of people. But if you go there, it says those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... If you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And so if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, instead of being under control of your flesh, then you experience the joy that God wants you to experience. So I want to just, two things on how to be filled with the Spirit. And there's no, I'm not going to bring you up here and lay hands on you or anything like that. We're not going there. But he has two things to help you to be controlled by the Spirit. The first is this. Read the Bible. You see, to, to be filled with the Spirit, we want to do what the Spirit wants us to do. We want to know God's will for our lives. We want to go where He wants us to go and do the things that He wants us to do and say the things He wants us to say. 
But there's, there's various ways of discerning God's will. I'll call them um, peace, fleece, and open doors. <laughs> peace, fleece, and open doors. I just had a sense of peace in my heart that that was God's will for my life. I'm not knocking all of these because God does give you peace. In fact, when it's wrong, he removes your peace because he gives us peace as a gift. It's a given. But So peace is, 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 is legitimate. Fleece. You know, God, if this is not your will, then let this happen. Or if it is your will, then let this happen. And we kind of test God like, like uh, Gideon did with the, the sheep's fleece. And then there's the open doors thing. Well, this is obviously God's will because it's become very easy for me to achieve this. Right? I'm not knocking any of those because I think God does open doors. I think that he, he can give you a sign, and I think that he does give you peace. But there's a surer way of knowing his will for your life because he's told us what his will is for our lives. It's in Scripture. And, and here's what, here's what uh, Peter says about Scripture. He says, For no prophecy has ever, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying, read the Bible. But there's one extra step if you want to be filled with the Spirit because reading the Bible can be useless. Do what it says. Do what it says. Do what it says. You are not under the control of something until it changes your behavior. You're not under the control of something until it changes your behavior. You're not under the control of the Holy Spirit until the Holy Spirit has, has fashioned and formed the way that you live. You're not obeying Scripture by reading Scripture. You're obeying Scripture by doing the things that it tells you to do. Joy can be yours. The kind of joy that God wants you to have can be yours. You already have everything that you need to experience this joy. You have the nearness of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. What we need to do then is be filled by the Holy Spirit, and that is we can read His Word to find out what He wants us to do, and we obey His Word. There's one thing that I, I believe can help you to almost automate this. And it's got to do with our whole series. And that is to anticipate his return. Here's why. First of all, Paul says that do not be anxious for anything, but let your reasonableness be known to all while the Lord is at hand. And when he says the Lord is at hand, that both means that he's near and that he's coming. So it's very, very important to anticipate his return. But here's, here's a second reason. Most of you, a lot of you are married. If you had to ask a lady, when did you start preparing for your wedding day? It certainly wasn't that morning when they started getting dressed. The day that, or probably years even before they were proposed to, but certainly after they were proposed to, then it's like booking the venue, it's getting the dress, it's getting the catering, it's getting all these things, and you start preparing for this wedding Jesus, when he comes, is not coming to rescue us from a bad world. He's coming to pick us up for a wedding. Revelation 19 says that we will be invited to this marriage supper. And in fact, the New Testament speaks about the church as the bride of Christ. And we actually have something to wear. It says that the, 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 the white garments, the garments of the bride, are the righteous deeds of the saints. And so while we wait for the bridegroom to come and fetch us, we get to, to do the righteous deeds of the saints in preparation for him to come. We'd hate to be caught by our bridegroom unprepared for him to come. And so 
we want to then be filled by the Spirit so we're in, under the control of the Spirit, doing the things that He wants us to do, going to the places He wants us to go, speaking the words that He wants us to speak as we anticipate His return to us. And in the meantime, we get to experience the joy to an extent until we experience the fullness of joy when we're with Him completely. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.